um, was anyway, um, but re-listen to that. And a, a couple retractions I have to do. I don't, I don't get to do these all that often. Yay! Um, I said a couple dumb things last week, um, and I want to walk. I, I can't walk them back. They've been said, but I, I do want to um, give color to them and just um, say a few things about that. Um, first, I made fun of the person who made coffee last week um, fairly incessantly about how bad our coffee was going to be. I just want to clarify, that was me who made the coffee. Um, it was a joke, and somebody graciously came up to me after church and said, oh dear, goodness, um, you didn't mention it was you that made it, and you're going to like paint the, you know, and I went, oh no, I really should have said, um, otherwise none of you are ever going to volunteer for anything. You're like, gosh, if we don't do it to stew snuff, we're going to, he's going to blast us publicly. So anyway, um, that was me. It was just a dumb thing to say anyway. I probably shouldn't have said it. Um, Secondly, I made some comments about youth ministry last week, and I want to separate, um, again, a dumb thing to say, but I want to separate them. Um, what I was intending to share there uh, is my own, our own journey as part of this church, Jen and I. And if, if you didn't listen to it, um, the, the quick nutshell is there have been seasons in the life of our church where Jen and I have had to mourn that our church doesn't have a vibrant youth ministry. That has not always been the case. Uh, Pastor Sean did an incredible job getting things started up in the early years, and my kids benefited. Pastor Dan and Ash have done an incredible job at multiple times in the life of our church carrying that. But there have been seasons in the life of our church where that has not been a strong suit, and we've had to mourn that as a family. My my intent in sharing that is, is this, that no matter what church we are part of, there will be things our church doesn't do for which we have to mourn. And the answer is not to just go find a church down the street that does that thing better. For when we do that, we are shaping our family's spirit that I am the motion by doing that. We are telling our families and our own souls that I am the most important one in here and that I will get my needs met. And our relationship with our church merely becomes an exchange of religious goods and services. And we just go wherever the goods and services are best. Uh, and that, that has a shaping effect on who we are as people. Uh, so uh, to those who heard that uh, and felt a cringe in your spirit, what I don't want to communicate with that is that we shouldn't have a youth ministry or that we will not ever have another vibrant youth ministry that Dan and Ash led or that Sean led. Um, those are wonderful things. Um, And just because it's not one of our four pursuits doesn't mean it won't happen or it shouldn't happen. It just means it's not one of the top four things that we uh, pay attention to. Uh, Two stupid things I shouldn't have said um, for how they landed. So, and for that, I apologize. For any of you who lost sleep or who um, plotted my death throughout the week, um, deserve to die for it. But uh, I just, I'm sorry for that. Um, I love you very, very much. so let me say that. Let me also say um, a few different occasions today, and um, I'm cutting into time here, but I, the, I think this is important. On a few different occasions today, things that God has spoken to y'all have made their way to this stage uh, for us to be encouraged by as a community. And um, I just want to say amen to that. That's a good thing. Um, Ashley, thank you for um, sharing the word grace with your hubby. Um, I was really excited when Ashley was here this morning, because I always am. I was really excited because um, she brought donuts this morning. Um, I had no idea that she was also going to bring grace. Um, So praise God for that. Um, 
Katie Popkin, you may have seen her come up to me uh, a little bit earlier. Um, I was scared to death because I didn't see her uh, right away. Oh, hi, Kate. Um, and, and she asked that we would just um, vocalize a word of thanks to our firefighters. And I'm just trusting that that's something God's stern in her. And so let us do that out loud um, and say, thank God for our firefighters. Um, thank you for them. Um, and I know that that's not, that doesn't cover everyone. There, there are others working on those front lines. Um, I don't know about you, but I watched that fire very closely. I was away for work this week, and that fire was 10 miles from my house on a few different occasions. Um, and my wife was home, you know, alone. And um, so I was feeling that too. Thanks, Katie, for mentioning that. Um, thank God for those. Okay, enough of that. Anything else I said that was stupid this week that I should walk back right now? Kirk's like, well, let me pull out my notes on my phone. <laughs> yeah, I did offer Kirk today that I would trade him straight across my Corolla for his forerunner. <laughs> he didn't take me up on it. I know, right? Uh, one of our earliest trips to Guatemala, pastors Irwin and Irma took us to a little village outside of Hocatillo, which is about 45, 50 minutes outside uh, Guatemala City. And they took us into a little village uh, called Hocatillo Mercedes. They generally just call it Mercedes. And they introduced us uh, to Pastor Matilde, who generally uh, to the U.S. go by Matthew, which will be valuable to you later if you, you know, want to look him up and, and get to know him. But um, they took us to that little village. And uh, we got out of the van. And on this particular trip to Guatemala, it's one of our earliest ones that we ever did as a church solo. We had done a couple earlier trips in partnership with our friends at Flipside Church down in the Rancho Maderas. But this was one of our first alone. And it was just as I recall, it was just Pastor Jason and Pastor Sean and myself who were there. And Jace got out of the van in Mercedes and out of his backpack, he pulled this huge bag of Costco trail mix. You know the one with M&Ms and cashews. It's good. And uh, he just began to walk the village um, with a handful. This was um, before COVID. Um, so don't... <laughs> Don't send me, you know, your stuff. Um, but scooped it out right by his hand, you know, and these um, kids from the village would just run and he would fill their hands. And by the end, he was just pouring the bag. And I remember one little boy, Sean, remember this with his shirt? And Jace was pouring it into his shirt and he was just catching it with his shirt. And I think Jace ended up just pouring the whole rest of the bag in his shirt. Like I just, you know, it's not, I'm, it's not worth um, rationing. Um, just this beautiful uh, little moment. From there, uh, Matteo, or Matilde, as uh, we call him, took us in and we walked and walked into one particular house who I will never forget with the husband laying on a bed, um, sort of asleep, sort of awake, and he was dying. Um, he had been working in the pineapple fields. It was pineapple picking season and working in the fields 12, 14, 15 hours a day probably and drinking the filthy water that's brought to the village by the government. And generally, most people um, do okay drinking this filthy water. Um, but most of what they drink is Coca-Cola, to be quite honest with you. And um, as a result, their teeth run out of their heads and they don't get the right nutrition. But he had been drinking the water and he was now dying from it. And uh, I remember asking, well, what, what can we do? How can we? And they said, nothing. He's just going to die. That's just, it's pineapple season. And we walked out, and I remember Jace looking at us and saying, this is too much. Like, this is, are you kidding me right now? Um, 
And uh, then we walk into, he said, uh, Matilda, I said, but I want to show you something. So we walked into this rented, the best way I could describe it, which isn't fair, but the best way I could describe it is as a, kind of a community daycare um, for the village there. And Matilda took us in there and they had this thing called an eco-filtro, which uh, you've seen around here. I probably should have put it up this morning, but um, you've seen it floating around here. And it's a, just a clay pot that's been developed in Guatemala that uh, you can run your water through. And the water comes out a little brown and tasting a little skunky, but it cleans the water from all the bad bacteria and um, works really beautifully. And it helps the Guatemalan economy because it's made in Guatemala and we don't have to ship it. And I mean, it's just a million reasons why it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. And so we came home and we shared with you, hey, let's save lives in Guatemala, right? Uh, and these pots at the time were about $55-ish U.S. Sean's shaking his head, yes. Um, don't let me do numbers ever. And so we asked you uh, as families to just sponsor a pot or two by an eco-filter. And you did. And you did way more than that. I think over the years, uh, I mean, it's certainly way more than $5,000. But um, we've given, you've given maybe close to $10,000 um, for eco-filtros over the years and given eco-filtros. We went back a year later or so to that same village and gave every single family in the village, 200 families, an eco-filtro. So they never had to drink dirty water again. Church, way to go. And uh, since that time, we've been able to do it in a lot of different villages. And in fact, that very village, Mercedes, Matilde had been working for a number of years to get fresh water in the village and it was just delayed at that point. And just a couple of years ago, Matilde got it done, and there's now fresh water in that village. And they don't need eco-filtros anymore. I think they actually still use them in a few spots, but don't need them anymore. Then there was uh, Jenny, who we met uh, while in uh, Guatemala City in uh, La Limonada, the largest and most violent urban slum in all of Central America, uh, where Vitas Plenis, a ministry we partner with with Tita, um, is at. We met uh, Jenny, and uh, Jenny was pregnant at the time after an uh, incredibly violent um, encounter with three to four men in the neighborhood. Um, for the sake of you and kids in the room, I won't go into that, but you can imagine. Uh, she'd been held over a bridge upside down and told that they were going to drop her and kill her if she didn't let him. She's 15, and she's pregnant. And uh, our hearts just broke, you know? And it was the old, you do for one what you wish you could do for all of them, you know? And so we just said, what do you need? And Tita said, well, um, she can't have the baby at a safe hospital because she has no money. Uh, so that's the first object, is to get over the hump on that and figure out how do we get her to a hospital. And I don't remember the number. I'm sure I'll get it wrong, but it was tiny. I mean, it was like hundreds of dollars, you know, like a couple hundred dollars to buy her a visit in the local hospital. And so we pooled our money and the money that you had sent with us, a number of you had, you know, on our way out to Guatemala had given us a hundred dollar bill, some of you a thousand dollars and said, here, take this money and just do what you need to do with it. And so we had that money in hand and a little bit of money of our own. And so we, we bought her a hospital stay and we bought clothes for the baby. And I think we actually paid for her school for the next year and and basically just pooled all the money y'all gave us and uh, gave it um, to Tita for Tita to administrate and be sure that um, Jenny got what she needed. Uh, this is Jenny, the next visit with her baby. Uh, and, uh, you know, because her name's Jenny, it's pretty special to me, but um, she was pretty special to us. 
forever then. And when we get to La Limonada, we always ask, where's Jenny? Uh, we want to go see Jenny. And she'll now be 18, 19 maybe. Uh, some beautiful things that you have done uh, in Guatemala. Uh, some things that because of the insulated nature of our suburban life, if not for Guatemala and places like it, you and I, we as a community, would not have access to these stories, to these experiences. We, uh, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, we don't see that kind of pain in our experience. We don't experience that level of suffering in our experience. Generally speaking, um, I know some of us, some of you, have experienced horrible trauma. But generally speaking, uh, we don't interact as suburban Americans with poverty in the way that most of the world, quite frankly, does. So we go to Guatemala to help our friends, of course. And that is beautiful and it is right and it is good. But given their intimate relationship with poverty, with suffering, with healing prayer as the only means of medical care so often, they've got a lot to teach us about what it is to follow Jesus. And so we don't arrive there as the great white hope from the north bringing Benjamins only. We do that because we have it. And we bring them every penny we can every time we go. But we come there with a humble posture as as best we know how and say, teach us how to follow Jesus. Because y'all in Guatemala know how to follow Jesus in ways we don't have to know. Some of us do know, but we don't have to know in suburbia. They teach us what it is to be a friend of the global church. And so it comes as no surprise that God has used this to work in our midst as a church. And it comes as no surprise that this is the way God seems to be working throughout the earth right now. This is a significant trend. In fact, Philip Jenkins, a missiologist and researcher who wrote the book, The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity, uh, writes these words. He says, we are currently living through one of the most transforming moments in the history of religion worldwide. Over the last five centuries, the story of Christianity has been inextricably bound up with Europe and European-derived civilizations overseas and, of course, here in North America. Until recently, the overwhelming majority of Christians lived in largely white nations. Over the last century, however, he goes on to say, the center of gravity in the Christian world has shifted away from Europe southward to Africa and Latin America, and eastward to Asia. Today, the largest Christian communities on the planet are found in those regions. The global church is on the move. And uh, for you and I, uh, we are wise to connect with the global church if we long to see what God is up to. Commenting on this same body of research that Jenkins did, uh, another author, Stephen Bevins, writes uh, these words. By 2025, fully two-thirds of all Christians will live in Africa, Latin America, and Asia. 
Scholars are fairly unanimous. He, he goes on to write, scholars are fairly unanimous in acknowledging the accuracy of these facts. And catch this, don't lose this. The average Christian today is female, black, and lives in a Brazilian favela or an African village. This is the face of Christianity in our day and in our time. So, church family, uh, what does all that mean for us? It, it means at least this much, that if our desire is to see God at work in the world, then personal and equitable relationships with the global church are irreplaceable. And, and there's a couple qualifying words here that are really important that I won't go into great depth here or now um, for the sake of some other points that I, I think God would have for me to say. But the, these key words of personal relationship and equitable relationship. We, we are not there, again, as the great white hope from the north. We bring resource and we ought to make no apology for bringing it. But they bring to us as well. And these relationships ought to be equitable and personal. Like, they're not just organizations out there that we're connected to. These are people, right, whose kids get sick and who write us letters and say, my kid has bronchitis and we need medication. And every time those letters have come, we've brought that to you and y'all have responded. So um, I just want to continue to say we're just going to continue in the direction we've already gone. There, there's, there is no um, corrective word in this today uh, from my perspective, but uh, more bringing it back to the forefront for us. While Jesus himself and his gaggle of rabbinic burnouts called disciples serve as our first picture of New Testament missionaries, we often go to the Apostle Paul, and I think for good reason, to look at what is it like to live as a missionary in our day? What does it look like for those of us who follow Jesus to live as a missionary? We're going to go uh, there in just a moment. Uh, but scripture makes it very clear. And our experiences as a church make it not just clear, but actually lived. That living as a local missionary who partners globally is discipling us in the Jesus way like nothing else can. There is nothing else that can disciple you and I in the Jesus way in the ways that living like a missionary will do. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16, if you would. And uh, if you haven't already, grab the QR code um, from up behind me and follow along in the digital program as well, or, or at least save that on your phone because it's going to give you resources from today, links from today, uh, and also certainly announcements about what's going on around church. Acts chapter 16. Uh, let me pray as we start. Father, Son, and Spirit, in perfect community, you welcome us to live perfected community. And I'm grateful that we as a people um, are, are making our way of it. So continue to shape us. A triune God. Um, a Father who sent the Son and a son who sent the spirit, and a spirit who now sends the church to be its hands and feet on the earth. Teach us a little bit more what that looks like today. And um, stir up um, the waters of faith in us, we pray in Christ's name.
Amen. Uh, Acts 16.1. We, we began last week in Acts 13, the beginning of the first missionary journey, uh, just in case you hadn't caught that. Today, we shift now to the second of those missionary journeys. Uh, Paul went on also to Derby and to Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and so he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was Greek. Verse 4, as, as they went from town to town, they delivered to them from observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. I want to make three very simple points uh, in our closing moments that I um, think will encourage us as we all kind of find our way as individuals, part of a, a greater body called Disciples Church. And as we try to figure out, hey, how do I partner with our global partnerships um, in a way that I actually can? Um, I want to be really clear from the outset. Um, there's not a requirement. There's not, a, which, you know, good luck with that, pal. But, um, you know, there's not an expectation um, there's not a, uh, any sort of any of that, that everybody in this room and in this church should go to Guatemala at some point. Uh, now, let me be really clear. I really want everybody in this room to come to Guatemala sometime. Um, but I recognize that based on Station of Life and some other things, um, that might not be in the cards for everyone at the same time. Um, but that does not mean that we don't all partner in Guatemala. So just as we have four pursuits as a church and we encourage the entire body to be engaged with all those four pursuits, I invite everybody to be engaged in the life of Guatemala and that global partnership uh, and the other global partnerships that I imagine will emerge over the years as God stirs in some of you individually and God stirs up for you another place. You go, hey, I think we as a church ought to pay attention. And then we'll just follow the format and we'll go do an exploratory trip and we'll seek the Lord and say, God, what do you, what do you have for us here? What, what ought we do? And then we'll, we'll follow that through. Um, so there's not an expectation everybody goes to Guatemala. Um, there's a hope. But there is an expectation and a call on us as a body for everyone to play a part in our partnership there. Um, and, and the first uh, reality of all that is simply this reality that when we partner with the global church, and for us at this point in Guatemala, when we partner, we are reminded that missionaries are unavoidable disciple makers. I have had numerous conversations in the last month with some of you who have said something along the lines of, I value discipleship, I value making a disciple, but I just have not had anybody come to me and say, I'd like you to disciple me. Uh, and, and set aside for a moment the definition or the, the steps for making a disciple. Just set that over here for just a second. Uh, the simplest uh, way to move forward in that thinking is just someone who follows you. Uh, there's other things to it that are also important and valuable. But so often I hear that. And let me just say very clearly that when we partner as missionaries with the global church, it is unavoidable. They will come to you and say, will you help me? <laughs> will you stay connected to me? 
can I WhatsApp you at all hours of the night all the time? <laughs> WhatsApp is beautiful because you just silence it, you know, and then look at it when it's appropriate. But it's unavoidable, this disciple-making process. And um, ultimately, um, that's a big deal to us as Disciples Church. Paul arrives there and meets Timothy, and it's just a no-brainer. He's well-spoken of by the believers. He's uh, eager to serve Jesus. And so Paul says, all right, well, come along. Um, first, we're going to haze you a little bit, but um, then um, we're going to, you know, carry on. Continue on with me into verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Underline that one. Uh, and then go figure out what it means and come tell me, because it's fascinating. Verse 7, when they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them there either. So passing by, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. We'll stop there for just a moment. There's something going on here at the very least in verses 6 through 8 that um, ought not be overlooked. And that's this second idea that missionaries hear God's voice and follow its leading. Missionaries hear God's voice and follow its leading. Our relationship with the global church requires that we hear God's voice. And it helps us attune our ear. Not just when we're in Guatemala, but certainly when we are. There are numbers of needs that come to us, a a number of things that happen, a number of little whispers or or urges or inclinations in our spirit of, hey, I think we should go down that road and meet that family, or hey, have you talked with so-and-so lately? We should go see them, or hey, I think this person is ill and needs to be checked out. We trust all of that is fueled by the spirit and the voice of God. But to go into those places without hearing the voice of God would be beyond foolish. And we know intellectually the same is true living our lives here. But to go through our day and not be attuned to the voice of God is foolish. Now the difficulty comes in hearing his voice. Many of you know already that uh, Pastor Jason, who, um, you know, will kind of always be Pastor Jason to us, who led worship for us for years and years and years. He was here last week. I haven't, he's not here, right? I, okay. Good. We could talk about him. Um, <laughs> kidding, obviously. Uh, but uh, Jason, Jen, his lovely bride, and me and my Jen have a monthly standing dinner date um, that the two wives usually get on the calendar, and, and we meet up for dinner and just kind of catch up. And Honestly, um, you know, Jason and I used to talk three, four times a week, and now oftentimes we haven't spoken since the last time we saw each other a month prior. Just life is full, and uh, it's the way it goes. It's not, I wish it were different, but it it is sort of that way. Well, over the years, uh, Jason and I have realized that um, our hearing is going. And... uh, we go to these restaurants, you know, and, and we like nice restaurants. And so we're always finding, um, Schrager Law was awesome, by the way. Thank you for that recommendation. Um, we, we go to the restaurants you tell us to go check out because we don't have little kids anymore and we can do whatever we want. Uh, and so we go to these great restaurants and, uh, and, and fun places, and, but it's always so loud. And it's like, we become those people. Ah, so loud in here and the lights are so dim. And um, some people at the table um, I have to light up their menu now with their flashlight on their phone. Never thought I'd see the day that would happen. And when Jason and I sit across the table and talk, we are cupping our ears now to hear each other. And 
The whole time right now, I, and I, oh my goodness, it's happened. Uh, it's happened. But I want to hear what he's saying. And I don't want to just read his lips. And I think so often in our life with God, there is so much noise in suburbia. There is so much noise with the 14 Zoom calls or the, the eight different stops you've got to make in your work truck or all the things going on that hearing God, it's not that God isn't speaking, it's that we have lost our ability to hear him. And that should not be received with any sort of shame or guilting, but it should be accepted as the reality. He is speaking. We've lost our ability to hear him. One of the beauties of being in Guatemala is we just hear God's voice. And we just reattune our ear to him. And part of the reason we hear his voice in Guatemala is one, we don't have the trappings of normal life here. The second reason I think we hear God's voice is because we only have one reason to be there, which is to be missionaries that week. So we just hear him speak all day long. What a fascinating way if we can translate that to our life here. If we began to see ourselves as missionaries right here, we would be attuned to his voice. We might hear him speak a bit more often. Jesus is being indicted in John chapter 10, and we, we love the famous, I love the famous text in 1010 that I've come to give life and give it to the full. But just after that, Jesus gets indicted by the religious leaders of the day. Isn't it funny how religious leaders are the ones who like Jesus the least? I'm guilty. But Jesus is being indicted on a number of things. And in the midst of him responding to the indictment, he says to these religious leaders, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. About a week from now, I'll be in Chicago giving a talk to 50, 60 church planters. Uh, and that talk is written and done. But, um, it's basically, you got one job pastor, church planter, one job is to hear God's voice. And that's true for all of us as, as followers of Jesus. We have one primary job in life. And it's actually the one thing that every aspect of your life needs from you. Your boss wants a lot of stuff from you. Your kids want a lot of stuff from you. Your grandkids want even more from you. Your friends, your neighbors, your spouse, your partner, your friend, they want all kinds of stuff from you. And some of that stuff's valid and some not. But all of those people need one thing from you that they all share in common. They need for you to hear God speak. Because for most of those people, you are their only link to the kingdom of God. And without your link, they are completely separated from the way and the will of Jesus. They need you. The text goes on. During the night, Paul had a vision and there stood a man in Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news there. Missionaries are unavoidable disciple makers. Missionaries hear God's voice and follow his leading. 
And finally, our global partners are pleading for our return. They're pleading for our return. I put a little post on Facebook today, so uh, in case any of you wanted to hunt down some of our global partners who are on Facebook, um, Facebook can be kind of a cesspool. Here's one thing on Facebook that will be worth your time. Because our Guatemalan partners are not fighting over masks or vaccines. Our Guatemalan partners don't give a rip about our presidents, former, past, or present. Uh, Our Guatemalan partners are not going to fight over cars or what. They just talk about Jesus all the time. (laughs) It's just awesome. So um, I tagged them. So in case you, you know, if any of you are on Facebook and you're friends with me, go and you can just click and find our our partners that way. So I, I just did that to serve you and to help you. And immediately I started getting text messages from all these people. Um, Tita texted me 15 minutes later. Hey, I saw your post on thing. I'm going to send you a video where you show the video today in church. Of course I will, Tita. <laughs> I don't say no to Tita. <laughs> I've never said no to her yet. Maybe I will someday, but I, I've never, she's never asked me a single thing yet that wasn't a good thing to say yes to. Right after that, I got a WhatsApp from Pastor Irwin. Pastor, when are you coming? Can you come in December? They're pleading for us to come back and be with them, just as they did then. This is the nature of the global church. We need one another, and we stand to gain so much from it all. I woke up pretty startled this morning, uh, 4.45 in the morning. Uh, there was a noise outside the window. I slept with the window open because it was so nice and cool last night. And uh, obviously, I haven't been doing that much this summer. It's been hot and smoky. And I woke 4.45 and heard this noise and I couldn't, I couldn't imagine what it was. And initially I thought it was somebody walking in my backyard and I got really, really startled. And it took me a couple seconds kind of to get my wits about me when I realized it's rain. That's the sound in my backyard, rain in California, right? Like, what is this crazy sound? Whatever could it be? And I'll be real honest, um, and it it reveals a little something about my soul, that the very next thoughts in my head were all anxiety. I had been awake 25 seconds. And here's here's the thing. I grabbed my journal right after that as I've been challenging all of us to do. What what comes to mind immediately when you wake up says a lot about your soul. And so I immediately started writing down all the things. Um, What's outside that can't get wet? What did I leave outside? I don't know if that's like a flashback from having little kids and them leaving sweaters in the yard or, you know, what, what's outside that can't get wet? Oh, no, what I got to do? What do I got to clean up? And then I thought, oh, there's a hose out in the front lawn that was watering a dry patch that if I leave it out there all day, the, the grass is going to go yellow underneath the hose. I better go move the hose. What in the world? <laughs> Who cares? Oh, did I leave any of the windows down? Any of the cars? I got to roll the windows up or the cars are going to be wet and then the electric windows won't work. Is my barbecue under the cover of the patio? What happens if it gets wet? What what will I do? And those are weird and I recognize it says something about my soul and something about my backyard and the messes I leave behind. Once I got through that, and I'm telling you, just journaling that stuff down is really helpful because I wrote it down I looked at the page and I went, Okay, if all of that is true, we're going to be fine, right? If all of my worst anxieties of the morning turn out to be true, there's really nothing that needs to be done about any of it. It's all just fine. And I was able to then push through and walk out, and I got a cup of co- made a cup of coffee and went and sat on my front patio at four, 
now it's probably 55 in the morning. It's dark and just watched it rain on my front yard and watched God's goodness nourish the earth and enjoyed the snow. I hate rain, but I, boy, I tell you that first one of the year, oh, I looked at the dry spots in my front lawn and thought, those are going to be green in a couple of days now. Uh, I thought about how the air is going to be cleaner today. When we leave this building today, we breathe the air. For those of you with asthma, you didn't have to wear a mask today. Like, this is beautiful. The same is true for our partnerships globally. The same is true for our relationship in Guatemala. We think about Guatemala and we think about all the anxieties come up. Oh, is it safe? And will I get ill when I'm there? Yes, probably somehow. Um, what will happen? Is it can I can I take my child? Will it be? Should I go? Should I not? Can I get the time off work? Can I not? Should we give some money to that? We have so many other requirements at home and so many other things and. And all that matters and is probably valid and, and write it all down and look at it on a page and then ask God the question, okay, God, all my anxieties now laid before you, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, God? And he may say, you're doing just what I want you to do, just what you're doing. Cool. But maybe just maybe if we would push through all the reasons to not get involved, all the reasons to not commit to go the next time, all the reasons not to give financially, you may hear God's voice in all that. Don't let the concerns for today steal your joy of knowing that you've partnered in a global movement. Don't let the concerns of this day or the busyness of life redirect you from the beautiful opportunity of sitting on the patio area in the back of Irwin and Irma's house and hearing pigs squeal in the torrential rainstorm or playing with kids in La Limonada. Don't let the anxieties and the busyness of today keep you from learning from people who know things about following Jesus that most of us will never know otherwise. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us, for your love for us, and for your challenge in us to be the kinds of people you've called us to be. Move in us, and uh, may these next steps serve us well as we follow you and partner globally. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just a couple quick next steps to help you um, with the, okay, so what? Um, first, um, uh, maybe a first next step would just be to take a next step of following along with what's going on in Guatemala. Um, like I said, if you're on Facebook, Go to my page and you can see three people who I tag on there that are our partners and they're posting all the time stuff going on. And you'll just get a constant little, you know, steady feed of what's going on in Guatemala. Uh, might I also caution you uh, that when you become their friends, you're also going to get friend requests from about 6,000 other Guatemalans. Uh, so just know that. And that's just part of the joy. You can receive those or not receive them, but, um, you know, check that out. Um, Facebook is really the best way to be connected to what they're doing. I, I wish I could say, I'll just sign you up for their MailChimp newsletter. Um, but they don't do that in Guatemala. So um, that, that'll be your best way. Um, two, ask God, uh, what part can I play, God? What can I do? Um, maybe you want to give a little bit financially. Um, you can text any amount followed by simply the word Guatemala to our normal text number, 84321, and all that money goes to Guatemala, every last penny. Uh, 
Uh, and maybe that's the way God's stirring in you. Uh, and we'll buy water filters with that money and we'll help kids in classes and uh, help build another church. I think we're on six or seven. Uh, beautiful opportunity. In fact, as a side, you know, the first piece of property, the only piece of property Disciples Church has ever purchased is in Guatemala. And we bought land and we bought that building. That little uh, building they took us in, that little daycare with the eco-filter, the next year when we went back, we bought it. And uh, we held the deed for about 15 seconds before we handed it over uh, to Matilde in the community and said, this is yours. Uh, Do the kingdom work with it. And so, um, People often ask, does disciples own a building? I said, no, we did once. We bought a building in Guatemala uh, and held it for 15 seconds. Uh, so maybe you want to give to that. Uh, that's wonderful. Uh, uh, and finally, uh, and maybe, maybe most important, is just go meet up with somebody from our church who's gone. And uh, again, uh, you're going to hear this um, phrase come up a lot in the next couple of months. It will be unavoidable. Um, but grab somebody who you know has been to Guatemala and simply say, can we get together and will you tell me your story? And ask them to just tell you their story of Guatemala, uh, their experience going there. If you don't know somebody who's gone, uh, you can ask me. If you don't want to ask me, you can look on the wall in the hallway. There's a group picture of one of our teams that went. And uh, chances are you're going to know somebody in that picture. So let's get involved and uh, take our next steps. Um, hopefully we'll take a team back next summer and love to take a bunch of them. All right, let's stand and worship together.